Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Um, if you would, please take out your bulletins. Thank you. <laughs> you can see the sweat dripping down my face. Get me out of this, out of the sun. If you take out your bulletins, your Bibles, and turn to Psalm chapter 8, um, we're going to wrap up this series today in um, just learning how the Psalms give us words to speak at all the different phases in our lives. Um, You know, we started out looking at how the Psalms help us when we're waking up in the morning and there's just kind of like a rough day in front of us. Psalms give voice to that in Psalm chapter 3 and then Psalm chapter 4 after we faced a hard day and we're like, oh man, I've made a mess out of that. The Psalms give us words there to speak when we're facing times of distress Psalm 22, crying out with Jesus' voice, Why have you forsaken me, God? Um, Then this week we're going to look at Psalm chapter 8 and we're going to just think about what it means to pray with thankfulness and humility in our hearts. Um, what What that actually looks like, a prayer that's shaped by thankfulness and worship what that looks like. So let's let's uh, let's read this together. Psalm chapter eight. You'll find it in your bulletins uh, or in your Bibles. Um, he would stand for the reading of God's word. We read. We stand out of respect for God, not for the speaker, not for me, <laughs> but the ultimate speaker, um, the Lord. So listen as I read. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As far as the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Um, we've talked uh, a lot in this kind of series over the last few weeks about uh, the different types of psalms that we have. And if you remember when we first started out, we talked about um, how there's like these different classes of psalms, classes where like you start off and you're disoriented, right? And then through recognizing God at work in your in your life, in your circumstances, you become reoriented to right relationship with God. And then we talked about um, about psalms of orientation, where you're just you're just kind of dialed in, you're locked into where God's at. Um, we talked about psalms of disorientation or reorientation. This is a psalm of orientation. This is one of those psalms where it's just like the psalmist is locked in with God, right? Um, the psalmist is seeing his world and himself rightly. I don't know if you've ever been like in that sort of spot where you're you're maybe at a walk on the beach, um, maybe you're you're cruising down the cliffs, maybe you're out hiking, maybe you're on a nice drive or whatever it may be for you. 
And you just stop because you're overwhelmed by who God is and who you are. And you're just like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. Um, I can remember one, one day, uh, we, my family and I took a trip to the Grand Canyon and uh, I loved photography at that point in my life. I still love it. Just don't have the time to do it as much. Uh, and I woke up, I woke up at like five o'clock in the morning um, and I walked out to the rim of the Grand Canyon and I just waited. Um, it was all dark. There wasn't really much to see kids. It was just kind of like I was looking around and it was just shadows and darkness. And then the sun crept up over the horizon and it was unbelievable. I mean, it just took my breath away. Now, Arizona is pretty flat. I mean, there's not a lot going on there. Um, and I was just like, wow, this is so neat. And then I started to look at the Grand Canyon as the sun got higher in the sky. And the contrasts and the colors in the Grand Canyon started to pop. And I was just overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by the beauty and the majesty. A little while ago, I was also on a walk in our neighborhood. And there's one street, my wife knows the street. I love this street because the street is just lined with flowers on both sides. This is maybe a week or two ago, you know, when, when spring was going and all the flowers were blooming. And it's like I turned onto that street and I was overwhelmed by the smell. Just the smell of the flowers and the beauty, the intricacy of all these little things. It's just like, wow, God, like you did this. You, you from all eternity planned that I would turn down the street this morning. Um, you were thinking of me when this happened. Today we're going to look at this psalm and we're going to see God for who he is. This beautiful, majestic, wonderful God. We're going to see us for who we are. And then we're going to talk about how that, like reality, that reality that God's the one who makes the sun to rise, that God's the one who makes the flowers to bloom, God's the one who puts us even in this moment here, that reality shapes the way that we pray and interact with each other. Um, so let's let's just dive right in. Um, first point, doxology. Uh, doxology is an old word. I don't know if you know what, what doxology is, but actually if you take out your bulletins and you look, you flip to the last page with typing on it, um, you'll see the word right there, doxology. Um, if you were raised in a church like this one that practices liturgy, uh, well, every church has a liturgy, but this church that practices more of like a, like a sort of reformed style of liturgy, you'll know what the doxology is. And here this, this passage opens up with doxology, just praise. It's like praise to God. Um, o Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Every time I read those words, I can't help but to think of Sandy Patty, the, the song. I don't know if you guys remember that song. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. How, anyways, um, I can't help but to think of that. It's not very doxological, but still. Um, doxology is exactly what's happening here, right? It's someone's heart just bursting for joy. Um, 
someone's heart just overwhelmed and raptured with love for God. It's the Americanized way of saying or writing down something that's glorious, right? Um, and we're like, that was awesome. Uh, it's doxology. We're worshiping. You see, that's why we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because after we've experienced God wanting us in His presence, calling us to worship Him, God loving to hear us as we sing and we lift up our praises, God reminding us about who He is and who we are and then forgiving us, God feeding us and the bread and the wine. After we experience all of that, what that's meant to do is it's meant to make our hearts leap for joy. We've just been with God in this backyard um, with this beautiful view. We've just been with God. This passage is actually bound by doxology. It starts with it and it ends with it. I don't know if you noticed that while we were reading, but if you look down, verse 1 and verse 9 are strikingly similar. And I think the reason why the psalmist does that is so that we realize that everything that comes between this should be shaped by praise towards God. We start with praise. We end with praise. Does your prayer life look like that? I'll tell you, it's always fun to preach on things like prayer. Um, I do it a lot. Actually, both this, or this series that I've preached up here have been on prayer. Um, it's a funny thing about pastors. We're always preaching out in front of ourselves, right? We're preaching about things that we need to grow in. Um, areas where we struggle. Doxology. This is... Uh, this passage, bounded by doxology, is set, set up this way because when we think about who God is, and we think about who we are, and we think about the reality that God has made and cares for us, it drives us to humility. At least it ought to. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And humility brings out a life that's centered on and shaped by something else, something outside of us. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, uh, says this, Our lives are bracketed by God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's the first and the last line of both Psalm 8 and our lives. It's the delineation of God as the creator and myself as the creature that allows me to perceive the forms of beauty in which I'm an active participant. Praise to God, both the beginning and the end, allows us to see how we participate in this world it's when we, as creatures, begin to lie, live in light of the creational order that we participate in a doxologically formed lifestyle. 
We begin to see that our lives find shape and meaning, purpose and joy as they're lived in an orientation of praise to God. God calls us to praise His name because His name is the very revelation of who He is, His power, His majesty, the beauty, the heaviness of His being. And these two places... Um, display the extent of his power. Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. God is our Lord here and in heaven. But the problem is that we don't always live this way, right? <laughs> so often our doxology is based on what we want. Like it's shaped towards us. It's bent inwards. We know we should worship God in all our lives, but instead we worship our lives, our work, our achievement, our children, our animals, um, our, our sports, our health, our money, our work. Yeah, even our ministry. We worship that above God. We do these things so that we get the glory and we get the revelation or the, the uh, praise, the recognition. And in doing so, we attempt to like flip the whole universe on its head. Um, instead of us being oriented to God, we want people to be oriented to us. Um, this is just so clear, like in my own life. Um, I go home after, or I work from home, I come out of my office after a long day of work and I cook a beautiful meal. And then my family eats it. And then I go and I clean up. And what do I hope to hear? Oh, Joel. Our Joel. How majestic is your name in all of Escondido. You've prepared for us this meal. You've cleaned up after it. And what happens when I don't hear that? What happens when my family just scarfs down the meal and then all bails to their rooms and I'm left to clean everything up. Like, wait a second here. Don't you realize who I am? What I've done for you? And I get mad and bitter. And yet, this is when we hear our Savior's voice calling out to us to reorient our lives in praise back to Him. But you see, his life isn't, or his voice isn't like my voice. When I try to get people to be oriented to me, my voice is angry, my voice is proud, my voice is bitter. My voice attempts to manipulate and cajole. His voice is kind. His voice is merciful. His voice is gentle and loving, calling us back to him. His, vo his voice sounds like forgiveness and rest because he knows that all power and all glory and all dominion belong to him forever. You see, his kingdom can't be moved. Mine can be. <laughs> his kingdom can't be. He doesn't have to fight to get people to worship him because after he was raised from the dead, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. He assumed his place in glory. But how did he do this? Philippians 2 
says this, have, your, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, not Joel, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, Jesus laid down His power. He set it aside. And in doing that very thing, He was raised up and vindicated in His work on behalf of you and me so that when we try to get the world oriented towards us, we have Jesus' perfection. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Second thing, we start off with doxology, then we move to this kind of like uh, weird thing on dominion. Um, when we look at ourselves, the center section of the psalm deals with a topic that's really contentious, um, dominion. Kids, this word is uh, sounds like it's hard to understand, um, but it really isn't that hard to get, right? Dominion is not something that's hard to get. Uh, a king has dominion over his kingdom, right? He gets to set the rules. He gets to put in place the laws. He gets the, the ability to do what he wants to do, and his, his will gets carried out. Or when your parents come into the into your room and your and your room's not clean what do they tell you to do right clean your room what are they doing they're exercising dominion um that's what they're doing they're saying god's put me in charge of this place and so now you're gonna live in the right way um in both these instances, people are exercising dominion but dominion doesn't just mean to tell people what to do it also means that you're there to empower and to help, to love and support. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've walked into the room and you obviously were not the cool person in the room. In the room, um, you were obviously the kind of outcast, the outlier. And then you've had someone come to you and lift you up, bring you in, make you a part. That's dominion. It's kindness. Dominion also seeks the good of the people around us, especially the most vulnerable. And notice what happens in this section, right? David, the king of Israel, walks out and he looks up, something he must have done a thousand times in his lifetime as a shepherd, right? He looks up and he sees the stars. He sees the wonder, the moon, the planets. He recognizes that they're all the work of God. Real power at work. He looks around him and he sees the animals that he cares for. He sees the seasons come and go. Real power at work. And his mind is blown. <laughs> 
And he says these great words. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Notice two things, two ways that David describes God's disposition towards humanity. Um, Mindfulness and caring. Mindfulness and caring. This is how God feels about you. This is why I put that great quote at the beginning in our reflection. Out of sight is not out of God's mind as far as humans are concerned. In the world of human kings, a peasant subject might languish unknown and uncared for in the furthest reaches of the empire. But Yahweh, our God, remains mindful of those, of all those whom he has made for a purpose. What this means is that he knows you. He cares for you. He loves you. You see, I think so often we wonder if God's forgotten us. Um, If he really loves us, if he really cares for us. We may feel like life is worthless and that you are worthless. God is mindful of you. He cares for you. Your life isn't worthless, no matter what you've done or how you feel. God sees and cares for you. He made humanity something worthwhile, and he's given them dominion. When you read this language, right? When you read this language, um, sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heaven, fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, what do you think of? This is like creation and Ten Commandments language. Um, That's that's what we're pulling on here. This dominion is a pre-fall dominion. It's a sinless dominion. It's a dominion that looks at the world around it and the people around it and seeks to love and promote them, to care for them. But this was broken, and now we use dominion for our own ends, our own pleasure. And yet there's a king who so values humanity, who so understands who we are and how valuable our lives are, that he was willing to die to raise humanity again. One author really gets it when she says this, Yes, he cares for us because we're created in his image. But he also cares for us because the second person of the Trinity, the Son, became one of us. He took to himself the blood, bone, and DNA of of a little virgin girl. (laughs) And his incarnation has forever elevated our race. Jesus is the image of the true God, but he's also the true man. By living in perfect loving obedience to his Father, Jesus truly fulfilled all that man had been created to be and graciously credited us with that record. You see the, cre- the question, what is man? It's not just here. It's picked up all over the place, all over the Old Testament and in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God. 
of the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy is to be destroyed, to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who puts all things in subjection under him. Hebrews 2. It's been testified somewhere, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower, a little um, for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. You see this sort of dominion, the dominion that Christ exercises, and the sort of dominion that you and I, as new create new creations raised to new life exercise, it doesn't look like the sort of dominion that we think it looks like. It doesn't look like a kingdom of power, a kingdom of strength, a kingdom of political uh, uh, ideology. This kingdom is shaped and formed by Jesus himself. The dominion that's given to humanity and brings value to every human life as it finds its fulfillment in Christ. See, what what this means for us is that if we're in Christ, we no longer have to fear the wrath of God. We no longer have to fear what God will do to us if we misuse His dominion. We no longer have to fear what will happen if people don't recognize our dominion. We can actually sacrifice ourselves for our brothers and sisters in love and in humility. You see, as this reality shapes the way we live, when we know we're loved and protected and forgiven, we can begin to follow after the one who's given us so much. Brings us to our last point. What does this look like when it's worked out in discipleship and prayer? How does this all come together? God's glory, our dominion, lots of stuff going on here. How does this shape how we live? Here it is. If we're to follow after our master's steps, then we need to recognize um, the reality that Jesus lived this out perfectly for us. The one through whom and for whom all things were created in heaven and on earth is the same one who put all things under his feet, this Jesus. So then, how do we live this out? How do we pray this way? For to exercise this doxological dominion, we should start by looking at Jesus first. Um, if we're supposed to live this out in prayer, we should look at him first. How did Jesus do this? Well, friends, Jesus brought the ultimate value to life. He worshipped his Father. He loved him. He submitted to him. He rolled back the curse by showing love, dominion through love. 
He reached those who were the most vulnerable. His mind and his heart were bent on them. The leper, the outcast, the prostitute, the paralytic. He valued them, both single and married, male and female. He loved children. He loved the prostitute and the woman at the well. He cared for the fisherman and the tax collector. And then he gave up his life. You see, the way we exercise this in prayer is we recognize, we call out with joy and thankfulness, God, you are the Lord. You're my Lord. The one who reigns all of heaven and earth, you are him, not me. God, help me to love the people around me. Help me to put my own rights, my own needs aside so that other people can live, so that they can experience this life, so they can know how much you value them. God, help me to humble myself like Jesus humbled himself. Help me to live in the forgiveness that he gives. You see, he did what we could never do on our own. He did that for us. Walter Brueggemann says this, Doxology gives dominion its context and its legitimacy. Praise to God gives the way we live its shape and its form. So as we pray, we start with praise. We end with praise. And then all the things that we pray about, all of our concerns, all of our cares, all of the people who God's put in our hearts and sometimes we feel is put in our way, (laughs) we pray with love for them so that we can help We can see God's kingdom spread. May God make this church a church that's shaped by this doxologically formed dominion, seeking to love its neighbors through prayer, through kindness, through mercy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we uh, see the perfect example of all of this in you, Jesus. And so we turn to you now. Um, We turn to you with uh, thankfulness in our hearts that the dominion, the kingdom, the power is not ours. (laughs) It's yours, God. We thank you for that. And because you're such a merciful, kind king, kind God. God, be with us now, we pray. For Christ's sake. Amen.